America's front line of defense is this computer. It is totally secure. Or is it? You're really into computers, huh? Yeah. This computer company is coming out with these amazing new games in a couple of months. I want to play those games. Wow. What? We got something. Games refers to models, simulations, and games which have tactical and strategic them. application. Greetings. Game time is near. Shall we play a game? Love to. Let's play. Global Thermonuclear War. Fine. All right. We have a launch detection. We have a Soviet launch. What the hell? Missile warning. No malfunction. Oh, my God. I repeat, confidence is high. Mr. President, this is Barry Trent. Is this a game or is it real? What's the difference? War Games. Begin playing June 3rd at a theater near you. Hey everybody, welcome to You Have to Watch This Podcast. I'm Alan. I'm Ryan. And I'm Devin. And today we're going to play a game. War Games. This is a film <laughs> that my wife has been bugging me about since the day we met. Uh, it's a film that I had never wow. seen, and Devin, you've never seen this one before, right? No, I've never seen it either. Alright, so we're going to go to Master of All Things 80s for this show. Ryan, take it away. <laughs> okay, so I'm, I'm I'm not master old things eighties. I think that goes to your wife, Alan. I think that goes for, for master for this of show. Old things 80s. For this show, yeah, for this show. Okay, okay. So, uh, War Games uh, was released in 1983. It was directed by John Bedham. Yes, I had to look at my phone for that. John Badham. Bedham. Badham. Bedham. Okay, something. One of those pronunciations. Bad hand. Um, bad. Bad hand. <laughs> I like that one. We're keeping it. Okay. So before we get into you know like what you guys thought, this and that, mm-hmm. I just wanted to give some like starter information on this. So like I said, this film came out in 1983, um, but it was shopped around the studios for like five years to four years prior to this because all of the studios were, were you know, looking at this film idea and script and going, what is this? Is this science fiction? This doesn't seem like it's based in any kind of reality. Um, and then eventually they went to MGM with it and MGM looked at it and said, oh, this is computer stuff. This all makes sense. So they finally went along with it and then the movie was almost scrapped because the writers didn't think the storyline was plausible. And then in like 1981, 1982, uh, news broke that the United States almost kicked off world war three because somebody forgot to take out a war game simulation floppy disk out of a computer at NORAD. (laughs) And, and the next shift came in and didn't know that that was a simulation. And they started going down to the different death com scenarios and almost kicked off world war three. So when that news broke, the writers that were, you know, the, the newly hired writers that were brought on to like iron out the script decided to be like, you know, no, this is actually a plausible. So we're just going to continue with it. Um, so yes. Uh, I just wanted to ask oh, when, did, yeah. when did you first see this movie? Uh, let's see. I first, uh, I first saw this when I was about 10. So like 95, okay. like okay. 94, 95, 96. Um, it wasn't a movie that was really on TV for some reason. Like, I don't ever re- re- remember this being on TV uh, prior to moving to Pennsylvania. Um, but I remember watching it thinking it was, you know, really cool, especially since, like, 95, our fam- uh, my parents got our first computer. And so we were, you know, just messing around with it. Then all of a sudden I see this movie where it's like, oh, cool, you know, like, I can do this. And, of course, no, I can't. Not in the 90s, anyway. <laughs> so, um... Given both of you hadn't seen this before, but both Correct. of you have, but both of you have the same experience with this film that I want you guys to dive into. I'd say so yeah. So by all yeah. means, go ahead. Um, well, there there are two references to war games in pop culture that I think Devin and I are familiar with. I think what Ryan's getting at is the chapter in Ready Player One where Wade Watts <laughs> has to recreate the movie War Games. Yes. Yeah. 
Um, I thought about that the whole time watching this movie, by the way. Spe- I figured you would. Especially that opening <laughs> scene. Because um, mm-hmm. I, re- I reread the audiobook of Ready Player One before oh. Ready Player Two came out. And I was like, well, we need to do this on the podcast. But like, I remembered like him going in and seeing his reflection in the game. I was like, oh, that's cool. Like, it, it's from what I could remember. I didn't get the book out and like follow it. I, I should have, but I didn't. Um, but no, so I, I knew that. And Ryan has had a problem with that since we told him about it. Because we haven't seen it, right? Well, no, it was Devin. It was actually you. And it was more or less oh. a joke. And then we just continued with it. It was one of those things where it was like, you guys were talking about it. Then I said, hey, you guys really need to see this movie then. And then Devin, you said, I don't need to see it. I read uh, I read, read the book, or, book. And I was like, what book? And you said Ready Player One. And I was like, oh, you've got to be kidding me. Because that just fell in line with all the other stuff you say. What? Just like the last episode. What? Mayo chips, disgusting. No matter where what? you are. <laughs> Hold on, me being reductionist about a movie that doesn't make any sense. That doesn't sound like me at never. all. That never, that <laughs> never, never. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so uh, it was one of those things where it was more or less a joke on my end. I just thought it was funny because oh, yeah. I knew we were going to get to this. Um, and regardless if your opinions on what you thought the movie was going to be has changed or not, I'm just happy you guys watched it. Yeah. So, so the other po- the other yeah. pop culture thing is. Do you, either either you want to take a guess it's a it's a brief thing no I, what is it i'm always at a loss okay. when you do stuff like that. so in <laughs> captain america winter soldier when they go into the bunker and find zola wow. the computer uh, yeah black widow says to uh, captain america do you want to play a game and she's like it's from a movie he's like yeah i know i, I saw war games <laughs> So we have finally see, we finally caught that. up with Steve Rogers. <sighs> I love that. There I forgot go. that reference. I totally forgot about that. Yeah. yeah. It it probably okay. helps that I've been rewatching the Marvel movies <laughs> to get hyped for so, WandaVision. So yeah. Island, does your life feel more complete now that you know where those references are from and have seen the whole like have seen it in its entirety? So for me, I can know where a reference comes from and still appreciate it, even if I don't mm-hmm. know the thing. Like like I can appreciate a good, you know, one doesn't simply walk into Mordor joke, even though I don't, haven't really seen Lord of the Rings. I've seen most of them, but not the whole way through. Okay. Um, like I don't, I don't need to have a hundred percent knowledge of a thing to appreciate a joke to it. But okay. I, I, I know enough about enough that I, I, I pick up on stuff. Yeah, I'm kind of the same way because, like, I know a lot of references to a lot of movies that I haven't seen and will use those references. And I don't really care that I haven't seen it, which, like, I get it. It's doing disservice to the source material. I need to watch it. Like, I need to understand what I'm making fun of. But also, yeah. Yeah. It yeah. also helps that I watch The Simpsons a lot and they, they, they <laughs> like, jo- like, beat me to watching things that they make references to. Like, I've never seen Citizen Kane, but I saw the episode about Mr. Burns' uh, – teddy bear so <laughs> perfect <laughs> okay so what uh, what were you guys expecting going into this before you actually watched it for me i was I, for me no, i was ahead. expecting matthew broderick in a bunker playing games against a computer the whole time like a lot of Typey, typey, hacky, hacky type stuff. Yeah. I was expecting a lot more of that. I wasn't expecting kind of a road trip on the run movie. Okay. I was expecting kind of the same, like Matthew Broderick is this like super hacker who knows better, you know, computers better than anyone else. And all of a sudden he like happens upon this computer that's playing uh, this, you know, simulated war game and only he can stop it. And, the whole world's relying on him to use a super hacker computer knowledge. And, and, you know, I didn't expect it to be a moral, like I didn't expect it to be a morality thing in the end either, not to spoil anything, but like the movie has a moral message to it. And that ends up being kind of what Matthew Broderick uses and not his super skill with a computer. You know what I, okay, actually I expected this movie to be the wizard. Do you guys know that reference? 
I know that reference. Willow? You're talking sure, about the, the ex- glove thing, right? The, the power glove. Yeah, the power I expected glove. Matthew Broderick oh, okay. at the end to put on the Nintendo power glove and be like, it feels so bad. Like, that's what it's I... It's 1983! So the Nintendo... I don't know. What was Nintendo doing then? The, Nothing. The, the, Game & Watch? The, the, Game and, Game and Watch. Watch. Yeah. Yeah, it was going to be Game and Watch. <laughs> <laughs> I was expecting something like that. Like, where it was, I, I expected to be more of like glorifying technology and not what it was, I think. Okay. And right now I am Googling the, 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 the Nintendo Power Glove because I want to make sure that I wasn't the idiot in that conversation. It's the Infinity Gauntlet <laughs> before the Infinity Gauntlet. Guys, I want one of these. That's where, like, that's actually bad, where, though. um, where Marvel got the idea for the Infinity Gauntlet was the power. Is it really? No. Oh, <laughs> I would have believed it. You could have kept going, and I would have believed that. I could. Oh, good, good, good. I was yeah. right. 1989, I mean, yeah. the Power Glove came out of the, oh, okay. the, the Nintendo Power Glove. Couple so, years. Yeah. Couple, couple years. Couple years. <laughs> With a snap of your fingers, you can break it immediately. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. A lot can change in seven years. Anyway, um, <laughs> so we'll okay. So th- that was your guys' thought about what you were getting into, even yes. though you yeah. read those parts in Ready Player One. That's still what yeah. you thought. Okay, mm-hmm. so what did you guys think of it? Just general, like spoilers. Not doesn't matter. This movie came out more than like thirty years ago. So <laughs> I, I like the overall message of it a lot. I think that it had a it definitely had its movie. It's a. It was a movie with a point, and I liked yeah. the point that it was trying to make. And I think that that part of it resonated with me a lot more than I thought the movie itself would. I figured this was just gonna be like a fun popcorny '80s movie, and by the end, I was like, "Yeah, all right." I thought that overall it was inconsistent in some places, and I have a few questions. But I think that as a whole, I liked it. Okay. It was weird seeing Matthew Broderick so young. Like I'm used to young Matthew Broderick. <laughs> I'm used to like Ferris yeah. Bueller's Day Off, mm-hmm. Hell, even Godzilla, young Matthew Ooh. Broderick. I wasn't I wasn't used to baby face Matthew Broderick. Um, I well, enjoy- he made the joke. He made the joke like it doesn't happen. Like, well, if you're over seventeen or under seventeen, you're fine. I'm like, oh, yeah, ew, yeah. Um, I enjoyed it. It was pretty straightforward. Um, I enjoyed it. Like that, that's pretty much all I have to say until we get into more stuff about it. Um, yeah. Okay. I was glad it wasn't all like typey, typey, hacky, hacky. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's just that's just gonna be my my phrase for the tonight's episode is just hacky, hacky, typey, typey. Perfect. Every time you say hacky, I think of a hacky sack. So uh, yeah. whatever. Um, it fits. Okay. So. Uh, Alan, you touched on Matthew Broderick's character. Yeah. Um, what did you think of the CD? I know her last name is she, uh, Ali Sheedy. How did you feel about her character? I liked her character. Um, I wasn't surprised when it gets to the point where he's like, I need help. I need a plane ticket from here to here. And then she shows up. I was like, yeah, that's, that's what she does. That's Ali Sheedy. Um, <laughs> I like Ali Sheedy and everything that I've seen her in. I haven't seen her in much lately, but <clears throat> breakfast club short circuit. And now this, <laughs> she had a good run yeah. in the eighties. Um, and she's still acting in smaller stuff now. Um, yeah. But no, I liked her. I like the I like the whole uh, Brat Pack connection stuff outside of the Brat Pack movies. Mm-hmm. She frustrated me a little bit in this movie only because they didn't <laughs> define the relationship between her and Matthew Broderick the whole time. And I'm like, what are you? Like, a lot of the times I was wondering, like, what is that relationship? Like, are they, like, dating forever and they're just comfortable with each other? Are they, like, mm, flirting? Or she's like a really good friend and just hanging out with a lot of this, like for a lot of this stuff and just feels like she needs to help him out. And the fact that they didn't define the relationship completely, like I know they kissed on the boat, neat. But like the fact that they didn't define the relationship made the beginning part confusing to me, I think. Okay. 
Well, because I just I wanted to which know. part. Just when she was like, "Yeah, I'll go into your room. Are you gonna change my grade and I'm gonna leave?" Got it. Or like the she just like seemed like way too comfortable with him right off the bat, and I didn't know where any of that was coming from. And it felt like it was there because he needed a romantic like person. Like like there had to be some romantic element to it because it's a teeny thing. So so the way the way I read that opening scene was like in the classroom they kind of flirt with each other. Like she giggles at mm-hmm. his jokes and then like they flirt and then he, she comes over she rides over to his place on her motorcycle, which was different. Um She's so cool. Yeah. Scooter. <laughs> but so I, I it feel makes like, a difference i feel like they, they were <laughs> flirting the whole time and i think you were only supposed to i only took it as they were flirting i didn't take it as they were dating i think it was uh these two like each other but they're both too chicken shit to do anything about it that's the mm-hmm. way i read it so i mean i can see that i think i think at some point like if matthew broderick had a friend in this movie i needed that friend to be like hey check out that character. I know you want to date her soon. And then it would have been fine with the rest of the movie. Yeah. Like, I just needed like someone to put a quick label on that for me, I think. See, t- to me, it read as like the, f- like the beginning of a friendship. Like, obviously right. she had never been over before. Um, mm-hmm. But at the same time, obviously they knew about each other because they sat right next to each other in class. And since they both have the same grade an F to me, they're constantly going back and forth with like jokes and stuff in class. So to me, that re- that read as like the beginning of a friendship, mm-hmm. and her just having a like, I guess, bubbly personality. Yeah, because she definitely did. Um, one of the things I like about the one of one of the things I, I like about her character and uh, and also the actress who played her and Matthew mm-hmm. Broderick was that part parts parts of this movie was ad-libbed. Um, really? And, and the part where she traps him in her legs when he's walking across the bedroom is one of them. She, Aww. she just did that because that felt like something that the character would do at that time. So I, knowing that some of the interactions they had were ad-libbed makes mm-hmm. me like her performance even more because when I first watched this as like a 10 year old, And then, I mean, I really liked it. And then, like, as I watched it, as I got older, um, Mm -hmm. I don't know. I kind of felt like she was just in there to be, like, the, you know, his potential girlfriend. Like, the personality, this and that. Like, it seemed too simple. Like, it seemed too, like, inserted. But then the more I found out about how they filmed the movie and, you know, how she played her character, the more I appreciate it. And the more it feels genuine actually okay so so you bring up a good point and i had a question about this and i wanted to get your guys's read on this what movie is this like is this like what genre would this fall into is this like a black mirror type thing where this is like a cautionary tale tale about technology is this a comedy is this like just an 80s movie Devin, shut up stop thinking about it because <laughs> here's here's where i'm at in my head right i turn on the movie. I'm going to spoil the first minute for everyone. They, we turn on the movie. These people show up at this house. This house is clearly a military base. These people go into this top secret bunker that's really heavily fortified. They both bring a gun. They pass a sign that says, no urinating or you'll be evicted. And I went, oh, this is a comedy. Got it. Who the hell's going to pee on the wall of a top secret military bunker? They're trying to be like glib and funny about this. But then the scene that takes place just feet away from this don't pee here sign is very serious and very tense. And like, there's a lot of stuff like that in this movie where I'm like, ah, look at you go in movie. And then I go, oh, but you're being very serious about this. Well, I could explain that a bit. Do it. <laughs> I mean, um, I want to hear. had a different hear, director on. on for the first two weeks. Really? They had a different director on, and the and and the initial storyline was supposed to be that it was it, that the initial storyline was that this was supposed to be a serious dark drama movie about a kid and mm-hmm. a friend that accidentally hack into this like computer system, and they 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 figure out what it is, and they do some nefarious things to like troll 
Like that's right. what this was supposed to be. And then the studio didn't like what they were seeing. Um, mm-hmm. So in fact, there were two scenes that were already filmed. One was, was, uh, was it him hacking the payphone? Oh yeah. Okay. So, uh, so that was already filmed and the silo scene was already filmed. If I correct on that. And the studio didn't really like where they thought it was going. So they brought in, uh, the guy who made the short circuit movie or, or, you know, who eventually made the short circuit movie. And he, uh, the bad, uh, bad ham, I'm just going to call him bad ham. Um, (laughs) he made this movie more lighthearted. So, I mean, I could definitely see this as being like a cautionary tale with a bit mm. of like humor thrown into it, but it's also heavily eighties. Um, but this is also like the start of like the hacker movie genre. If you want to call it a genre. Uh, oh, it's definitely was, a genre. Was... It's definitely <laughs> yeah. a genre. Um, yeah. This, uh, in fact, actually one of, one of, one of the things I found out today that the term firewall, um, yeah. the first time, uh, the first time that that word was ever used in a major uh, in a major motion picture relating to computers was in this movie. And in fact, some people say that this might have been the beginning of that because the writers did have to kind of make some stuff up in the script. Right. I mean, they had to have. So there's a possibility that that's in there, but they also talked to hackers when they were writing the movie, oh, like cool. early hackers. So, I mean, the, the, the term was probably around before then. It was just like it wasn't official lingo yet. So for me, I think this film, I, I didn't think of it from the Black Mirror angle, which I really like, Devin. Yeah. I look at it as like a pre-disaster movie, like what happens before the nukes go off but also yeah. <laughs> like cold war propaganda because <laughs> okay, it's cold war that. is fuck. <laughs> oh, it really is though. Um, and it's a lot of, yeah, it's, it's just, I don't think you could make a movie like this today and have it be as believable. I think the cold war re- adds so much to this movie. I don't mm-hmm. think it'd be that believable on to, to have the end game be the grand scale that it is, that it could potentially could be in this. I don't think you could have today without the USSR versus the U S like, I think those yeah. two, like just the way the, all the nukes would fall adds to the end of this. And I don't think you can get away with something like that on that scale today. Not saying that other people don't have nukes, but they, they're not all in the same place. Well, and that I, and our national defense isn't ninety percent geared towards an all-out, you know, mutual, de- mutual, de- mutual assured destruction strategy. Right. That's no longer a thing. So, I mean, yeah, this movie's definitely dated based on mm-hmm. that alone. Um, but yeah, no, and and I feel like this is like anti-Cold War propaganda. Because of the end message of the movie. Oh, no, no. No, it definitely... It's Cold War era propaganda. Like, it's like, hey, we shouldn't be in this Cold War. Okay, okay. That's what you meant. Yeah. No. Whenever I I hear that, I... No, I'm not saying, like, oh, yes. each government stood. We need all of these nukes. No, it's... it's, No, we we should... We should... uh, In the words of Superman, we should get rid of all nuclear weapons. Superman (laughs) 4, quest for peace. (laughs) So, okay, so with all of that in mind, then, was the fact that this, you know, highly advanced, very strategic, very, you know, super computer, is the fact that it's called the Whopper supposed to be funny? Took took me out of it completely. I was like, okay, really? (laughs) The Whopper? I can, look, that is, like, straight out of, like, a Bill Murray movie. Like... I, that would like, that's a Ghostbusters scene where they're like, here's this high tech piece of equipment. It's called the McChicken. And I'm like, yeah, that's funny. It would have been really great. Like, I, was Macintosh a thing in 83? Yeah, I think it was. Like, if they just had mm-hmm. like a big giant Macintosh computer there. So you right. have the Whopper and then it's the Big Mac. Big Mac, right. Like, that's funny. Like, and, and I giggled at it a couple of times, but then I like, the movie kept playing it straight and no one called it out. And I went, 
Was I not supposed to laugh at that? Well, they say what it stands for, which is War Operation Plan Response. And in the acronym totally makes sense, but on the other hand, like it almost feels like that was an acronym they worked backwards from. Like where they're like, we're really going to call this thing armed. And then they're like, what could armed stand for? Like it almost felt yeah. like that. No, I don't know. And yeah, the Whopper the Whopper definitely seems like it was intentional as a joke. Like it was supposed to be yeah. funny. Yeah. But it doesn't fit the tone of the movie at all. Yeah. Which is one of those reasons why like, I've always kind of like, you know, I've always realized that that's been that like that's been there, but uh-huh. there's been no reference at all in the rest of the movie with any other joke even relating to something like that. So I just no. kind of like, well, this is just some this is just whatever somebody made it up. Like I didn't It's not even a thing for me anymore. It's called the Whopper. <laughs> yeah, it's just what it is. It's I prefer what the it is. double Whopper with cheese. So <laughs> Do you know how bad cheese messes up uh, 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 computer boards and circuit boards? No, but there's one. <laughs> I wouldn't want cheese out. in that. <laughs> oh. So speaking of tone of the movie, I'm going to say I knew about the opening scene of this movie where Matthew Broderick's playing Galaga because of Ready Player One. So I knew what to expect when we introduce him. I'm going to be honest. I didn't expect the background music to like that they introduced him to. And I totally pulled a Devin on here. So this came out, like I started watching it and what the song is called Video Fever and it's performed by uh, the Beeps, they're called. Yeah, so Video Fever by the Beeps, come on. Matthew Broderick is playing Galaga and I went, this is a horrible song to introduce our main character. I'm so mad at this movie. This takes me right out of it. But dang it, if that song didn't get stuck in my head and I listened to it the whole way through for real a couple of times, and now I get it. But, like, did you guys have that same, like, visceral reaction to it that I did where it was like, ugh? I didn't because as soon as they showed him playing Galaga, I pulled a Tony uh-huh. Stark. I was like, that man is playing Galaga. You didn't think anyone <laughs> would see him, but we did. And to me, it's the early 80s. It's a pop song from the early '80s. It fits like, for me, <laughs> and it's it a song totally... you they would, and and it's a song that sounds like it would be playing in a place like that. It it has that weird like Pac-Man fever quality to it that I really hate, where it's like you can tell that like somebody called the Beepers made this song because isn't it funny that kids are playing video games in arcades? We'll cash in on this now. Or, like, why that, like, Star Wars disco song happened. Because money. And, like, I don't know. Okay, so yeah. did you look up anything else about that band? Like, how old they were or what other songs they've done? Because I will only agree to that idea if the rest of their catalog sounds like, I don't know, country or, like, synth pop. Well, no, the song was synth pop. I mean, it's... I, no, but I did find the video online of okay. this song where the lyricist and singer to this song, Cynthia Morrow, comments on it just to say that she did it. I like did that. I'm like, my research is done. I found her. That's fine. Okay. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, to me, something like that, it's just, it's part of it. Like, to yeah. me, every time I've seen this, it starts and I'm like, oh, cool. A song about an arcade. He's in an arcade. It's the early 80s. It sounds like a song that'd be playing in an arcade in the early 80s. Sure. I miss arcades. No, I totally I don't. do too. You don't? Why? Why not? I like the games we have now. <laughs> I, I can only remember... Okay, here, here, here. Serious answer. There's only two arcade games I remember that okay. made any impact on me. And it was a Terminator game where you were a human Ooh. and they had like the gun mounted on the, the light actual gun. thing. Yeah. And yeah. then you would do that, that, um, and, uh, cruising USA. It was eventually yeah. turned into, uh, an N64 game. Those are the only two arcades to me. I think of arcades. I think of games like, uh, like, uh, uh I think of games like centipede and street fighter. And I was never a fan of like fighting games for, I mean, I, I was never good at fighting games, so I never played mm-hmm. them. And the whole like 
thing like what he was playing Galaga. I'm not mm-hmm. a fan of games like that either anymore. So for me, it's just the experience of walking into a place and having all of these video games available to play and having the it's tokens. The of, yeah. yeah. It's the appeal of the barcade. Like why I love those so much. That's fine. And you're also missing the best arcade game, uh, Dance Dance Revolution. So, I am Lord of the Dance. For me, the my go-to arcade game is Time Crisis. Doesn't matter which one, but just the, okay. Uh, yeah, that's a good one. Yeah, just yeah. The, the the way that the video game controller gun reloads and you like the clicking of it. It's just amazing to me. Okay, so this probably gets into my personality a bit. Like, you guys know that I'm a huge sports fan. Mm -hmm. I love going Mm -hmm. to sporting events. I hate having to walk in and out of the stadium before and at the end of the games. Because of the crowds? I show up at least three hours before a game starts with Kristen. We wait in line. We're usually the first 100 people into the stadium. I sit out. We go into the restaurant. We watch batting practice. And then as soon as they open up the rest of the stadium, we we go find our seat. Mm-hmm. We did that in Pittsburgh when I saw the Blackhawks. We've done that at every baseball game that we've been to. I hate thick crowds. In fact, we went to New York City the one year and we went to Times Square in like the middle of the holiday season and I almost had a panic attack Mm -hmm. like it's like I'm fine and I'm fine in like medium-sized crowds and smaller and I'm not claustrophobic but there's something about arcades when they're packed that just makes all of my senses go to 10 and like I smell everything I see everything I hear everything and it's, it's too much there is an arcade near us at one of the malls. Hagerstown. Hagerstown, yeah. Um, <laughs> and every time I've gone in there, it's been empty just because of the time of day that I go. And it's phenomenal. Like an empty arcade to yourself is kind of sad, but also amazing because you don't have to worry about like upsetting little kids if you don't want to get off of your game right away. <laughs> exactly. You can pop in another quarter and not worry about it. Exactly. It's just fine about it. Yeah. yeah. And they have like yeah, some cool. of the, they have some new stuff, but they have a lot of old stuff that I'm like, where, who did they get this from? Like whose garage were they crawling in? Where did where they found this? this? That's yeah. like the appeal. The only appeal of like Dave and Buster's for me is like, I, as an adult will not be judged for playing this game drunkenly because that's, Everyone else around me is also a drunk adult. Devin, yeah. next time you're in town and after COVID passes, we need to go to Dave and Buster's. Yeah. Yes, we do. Absolutely. When Brian, school's in session. Yes. Yes. Dave, Dave and Buster's on a Wednesday afternoon is the best time to go. And I'll go too. <laughs> like I said, when it's yes. like when it's not packed, I'm fine. But like a packed mm-hmm. arcade is like one of my like no places. Yeah. yeah, no, I I don't. So Getting back to the film, and before we get into the historical aspects of this, because this movie changed a lot for governmental policy reasons, and and we'll get into that. You guys kind of know that, because I know that that was referenced in uh, in Ready Player One a little bit, because I, because like I read like half the book, and they mentioned about how like the movie, like you know Reagan saw it, and mm-hmm. stuff changed because he realized something. But um, let's go through the movie, so. He's trying to find this this uh, this computer gaming company and hack into their system to play the game. Um, all of that, from him hacking in to the government finding him and him getting like abducted or arrested <laughs> in the whole like unmarked van style. What did you guys think of like just the storyline, just the movie on its own? I I find it funny that he was trying to get games and that's how he came across this computer i i didn't expect that aspect of it like he was trying he was pretty much trying to hack uh the steam store in the 80s right yeah pretty much yeah um i didn't expect that so i i I really enjoyed the irony of that i think my one thing from the beginning of this that i wanted to ask you guys was if you could get away with it without anyone knowing, would you have hacked in and changed your grades? And if so, which yeah. class? I would have done it for math. I would have done it for specifically my senior year. I had trig. Uh, and the teacher pulled me aside one time in trig and said, I don't know how you're going to pass this class, to be honest with you. 
which is a horrifying thing to hear from a teacher. I passed it, by the way, with a C, so barely. Nice. And also them freezing our grades definitely helped oh, me. Don't eat, no, yeah. let's not let's not bring up that can of worms again. <laughs> Son of a bitch. I, I'm I still mad. I changed it to an A. I, I love it. I'm it was still my mad favorite about thing. That. Yeah, but that's definitely what I would have done. That would be the grade that I would change, and I would do it in a heartbeat. Brian, how about you? What about you guys? I would have broken into my college. Uh, it would have been college, and it would mm-hmm. have been my photography class. Because I got a D- minus when I should have gotten a B. And I, I tried, I tried to fight the grade by contacting the professor and going about legal mm-hmm. channels, but he took us, but he took us, uh, but he took an abs- uh, a leave of absence and left the very next day after the semester ended and didn't wow. tell anybody, didn't tell any of the students. And he lied to me, which is why I got the D minus uh, instead of a B. Huh, I'm still awful. very, very bitter about this. <laughs> I can tell. I would change my college grade for math. That way I didn't have to take the same math like twice mm-hmm. because that was the biggest pain. Cause when you get TA, like TAs teaching a class and they just don't care and just put everything online, it, it sucks. Yeah. So that's what I would change. Yeah. I did pretty good in high okay. school, college. My grade suffered a little bit more. So <laughs> I have an embarrassing, very quick story about uh, grades. That I don't want to tell really quick because it's like a, a typical me story. I was in college and I had this professor that I, I was an English major for a long time and I was pretty good at being an English major, not to brag, but, um, one of these papers that I did like really well on, I like really researched, really like put a lot of my heart and soul on it, got an F. And I was really mad because I was like not an F student. So I went to the professor, I went, professor, I don't think I deserve this grade. I said, and here's why. He goes, I gave you the grade I gave you. It's over, I'm not touching it anymore. And I'm like, that's ridiculous. I said, I think it deserves a second chance. He goes, no, I just wanted the damn things over with and walked away. And I went, this is awful. So that semester, I wrote him the most scathing teacher review ever. I said, there's a time in every teacher's life when they need to decide to give up and leave the education field. You clearly hit it. I like just tore into him. I'm like, he's given up as a person. He's given up as an educator. That was the semester his wife passed away. He graded those papers after attending her funeral. I didn't know that until after I wrote that review. Guys, I am a horrible person. No, you're not. You don't know. No. You didn't know that. I but guys, I feel so bad about it. Like I think about this often. Where like I like, made that guy's awful semester even worse. I get like I get that he was having a hard time. I completely yeah. sympathize, but like, I hate the mentality of people trying to power through stuff like that. Like I yeah. get it. They don't want to miss work. They feel like they have responsibilities. And when you're upset like that, yeah, the best thing to do is to go do something, you know, to mm-hmm. like keep your mind busy completely. I get it. I understand it, but you have to let somebody know. Yeah. Yeah. He should have, he should have handed all of that off to like the, the, the college letting them know what happened and that's how that should have went and you should have been able to get your grade fixed so i mean granted so much better so i mean granted yes did everything you said probably shouldn't have said (laughs) probably but at the same time it's it's that i i really hate that whole power through mentality like no yeah he he should have told somebody and got somebody else to cover the class (laughs) So real quick, before we move on, I, I, I have a story that's in the middle of both of yours. Oh my gosh. So um, I had a professor for a film class that, where I had to write a paper talking about the connections between three films. So I wrote, I wrote this amazing paper about J.J. Abrams and how he deals with the uh, father-son dynamic throughout all of his work. Super proud mm-hmm. of this paper. Spent a whole bunch of time working on it. It was the best thing I wrote in college. Yeah. I handed in. I I passed the class. Never got the paper back because the teacher died. <laughs> <gasps> oh, no. <laughs> so I never got oh, any no. feedback on it, but I know it was good. <laughs> you like show I, up at the funeral. You're like, I'm so sorry for your loss. Did he say anything about my paper? Exactly. I, I didn't do that. Friend of the show, Chad did. No, I'm kidding. No. 
I, oh, no. I just think it's amazing that my story is like in the middle of both of yours. Literally the center of these two stories. All right, anyway, back to war games. Right. Okay. So, okay, so you were fine with like how it evolved and you didn't feel that anything was too out of place with it, with, you know, with him doing the whole like, I'm just looking for a game because one of the, one of, one of the lines that, 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 that I really like in this is, uh-huh. uh, is when the FBI agent goes, he says he was looking for a toy company. And then the general leans back and goes, yeah, I buy that. (laughs) The only thing that stuck out to me at the beginning of this film that was odd was the dad with the ear of corn and the butter bread. They wanted you to know how he butters his bread. I've never seen anyone do that before. I meant to get an ear of corn to do it for, for the show but I forgot. <laughs> Hold on. Was it supposed to be weird? Cause like the camera really wanted, you know how he butters his bread. I don't think it was meant to be weird, but I was like, that is genius. Why didn't I think of that? My what grandfather is- did that. And so does my uncle. You guys have never seen that before. No, never. Uh-uh, I'm, no. I'm of the school of you take the ear of corn and you just roll it on the stick of butter. Exactly. You, you sacri- know, it's, it's the corn butter. My- you sacrifice it. When we moved to Pennsylvania, I saw a lot of people doing that, like it's friends' homes, and I thought it was the weirdest thing. And then I asked for a loaf of bread once when I was like in elementary school. I was over for some kid's birthday, and I asked for like a slice of bread, and we were eating like a picnic, and I just got the weirdest looks from people. And I was like, okay, fine, I'll just do it too. When in Rome, do what the Romans do. And I just never thought about it since. And now that you're saying that it's weird, it's got to be a Pennsylvania thing. It, it might be, it but might like, be. I just, I, I really like it because like, I just, I love the amount of time that the movie spends on you knowing how he butters the corn. Which well, has nothing to do with the rest of the movie. No. Nope. Well, it gives time for, that scene gives time for you to see the dynamic between him and his parents. Because in no other scene in this, besides them yelling at him to take the garbage out, do you get an idea about the dynamic between him and his parents? Um, prior to him looking on the TV and seeing that they, you know, freaked out the, you know, freaked out NORAD. Um, Mm -hmm. Because you get the mom on the phone, you get the dad paying no attention to it. You see him looking at the, you know, uh, looking at the magazine and leaving the table and they just don't care. They're just like, oh, he's going to his bedroom to eat dinner. Eh, It's no big deal. Our only child. We haven't even talked to him. And, And then, of course, the mom's a weirdo. He's like, it's raw. Like, oh, I know. You can taste the vitamin A and D in this or whatever. It's like, <laughs> he's like, yeah, but could we cook the corn and have pills? <laughs> no, they did a really good job of showing me the type of parents that would let a kid have a full on real door lock on his door with him being the only person that has the key to it. Like, because that would have never flown with me when I was in high school. I could not have locked myself in my room like that. Yeah, me neither. I had, I had a lock on my door. Like oh. one that, like you had a key to, though. Like, it will, well, I mean, not a key, but you could do the whole. I mean, no, not a key. I mean, I I know that he had a key, but at the same time, he also had all, all of that equipment. And mm. he even said that he asked for a car, and they gave him a computer. And to be perfectly oh. honest, for 1983, with that type of tech in his bedroom mm-hmm. and i was a parent i i'd buy a deadbolt <laughs> i get that's that. a lot of money yeah so i was also an only kid just like him so i mean <laughs> maybe it's an only kid thing <laughs> maybe possibly yeah uh so going forward from there do you feel that the disbelief of the of like the FBI and the computer scientist at NORAD and the general of his story did you find that believable? They don't even question him. Like they have it so dead set that this is what happened. They don't even question him really. The only one who does is Dabney Coleman and even he only gives him half of his attention. So mm-hmm. I it took that took me out of it a little bit, especially when I saw the principal from Back to the Future. Uh, I was like, "That was who that was, yeah. right?" Yeah, that Good. is okay. So yeah, I didn't really believe that 
as much. We also picked a weird week to watch a movie that deals with this kind of stuff. Because I was distracted by all of that while I was watching a little bit, so. No, I actually, I think I'm the opposite. I think I really did like that scene where they, like, they made up their minds about what he was doing there. Mm -hmm. They had their, they're the experts, they're the adults, and he, you know, they know his role in this. And the part of it that actually sold me on that was them going, okay, yeah, but you even bought a, a, a flight to Paris to get away from us, didn't you? And, like, in the movie, that was just him being like, no, I'm just, you know, look at that. I can book you a flight to Paris, the city you love. Yeah. But then it was like, it looked malicious. You see, for me, yeah. that I, I've i seen that before. They did that in the Jim Carrey movie, Yes Man, where he says yes to everything. Like, him and his girlfriend, yeah. Zoe Deschanel, are, like, traveling all over the country and just going to random places. He uh-huh. gets a mail-order bride from Russia. Like, all this stuff that makes him look suspicious. So when he's questioned by the FBI, they're like, they have this list of things that he's been doing. He's like, no, I can't explain. So <laughs> when, they, when they had that happen in this, I was like, oh, I, I saw this in Yes Man. <laughs> I Yeah, I don't know. For some reason, I liked... I really liked that whole, like, look, I'm just a little, I'm just a kid. I'm trying to find a computer game. I'm not this, like, serious hacker. And them, like, saying no and will not hear anything else. I related to that and really liked that. Well, that and because it's the early 80s, we're still steeped mm-hmm. in the Cold War. And what I thought Alan meant at the beginning, you had, at this point in the, in in the uh, early 80s, you have two fully grown generations in this country that have been bombod- bomb- bleh, saturated in U.S. government gold, cold, uh, cold war propaganda and right. fear of communists. And, of course, he's a young kid, and he says this, you know, like mm-hmm. he's alienated from his parents. He's an overachiever. Uh, um, He's intelligent, but he underperforms. You know, he's perfect for recruitment. And what he means is perfect for recruitment for the Soviets to, mm-hmm. to like, do what they want him to do. Or, yeah. And um, to me, I hate it every time I see it because it's so believable for for that time. Like, I can completely see, a, you know, a general, the guy who's running NORAD, uh, um, uh, two FBI agents, uh, uh, like a White House uh, aide that's there to communicate back and forth. I could totally see them going, no, 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 no. There is no way a kid from the suburbs could do this. He has, mm-hmm. uh, he has to have gotten help, which gets to what this movie did in real world for us. So in the 80s, there was an act passed called the like Computer Abuse Act um, that was basically the first federal law against hacking. That happened because of this movie. Reagan saw this. The next week, he during, during a meeting, he brought this up, and he asked... Um, like the the uh, uh, his like defense secretary to look into it, and mm-hmm. they looked into it and realized, yeah, no, our symptom, uh, our computers are vulnerable to this exact thing. Oh. Wow! So, uh, so about one year later, they passed that act and they fixed um, all of the issues that they had. So, in 1983, before this movie happened, there was no Whopper to hack into, but. <laughs> Um, something like this could have happened. And like I said before, we almost started World War III in the early 80s because somebody forgot to take a floppy disk out of a computer. So. I mean, Reagan's also the president who saw Star Wars like, hey, let's put lasers in space. So. And didn't he call it Star Wars? Yeah, Yeah, it's called Star Wars. (laughs) I love it. Look, I don't care anything like how much that man watched movies and like made policy based on his movies. I think it's such a good idea because like, if that could have happened, like I'm glad we caught it now, like with the movie, like I'm glad Matthew Broderick brought it to the world stage and not like an actual hacker. It, it yeah. It's weird though, because it's also kind of like Bill Clinton seeing independence day in 1996 is like, okay, but what if 15 mile wide spaceships did come down and blow up the white house? Like what happens then? <laughs> Like, what's our plan I, for this? <laughs> I love that, though. Yeah, so, so I mean, this movie did um, 
just like in Ready Player One, they touched on it. But I mean, like this movie did affect policy and did affect the way the U.S. deals with, you know, cyber. And right now we're in a whole new <laughs> generation of it. And if anybody's been paying attention to the news the past two weeks, they'll see that we've like every single defense computer system in our country was hacked and they didn't know about it for six months. So... Yeah. I mean, it's one of those things where that the hackers always have the advantage. The, you know, the people playing defense always have, you know, they're always behind. It's been such a crazy week news-wise, I completely forgot about that story. Yeah, isn't yeah. it crazy? It was all over the news prior yeah. to Wednesday. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. What a week. So, yeah. It's so Tuesday. on that note then, would... Would this message of this movie hold up today? So the message of the movie is that, like, the only way that anyone could win any sort of, like, nuclear war, any sort of, like, wartime situation is to just not play. Like, just don't do it. Like, pacifism is obviously the answer here, is kind of what the movie's preaching. Does that message hold up? Would an audience be as receptive to it today as they were in the 80s? I think that message holds up when it comes to thermonuclear war oh. <laughs> absolutely i don't think it i if you look at something like misinformation i don't mm-hmm. think passive is p- passive no. i don't think being passive on that is the uh, way to go i think you need to fight that i think you need to there are certain things that you just can't be a pacifist on mm-hmm that's kind of what I was thinking watching the movie too, uh, without kind of tipping my hand. But like, you know, I was, I, I like the thermonuclear war thing, like the mutually assured destruction. Like that's totally a thing, and I, I get that that's that is what it is. But I think that there's a lot of problems nowadays that like you can't be passive about because you know the the old adage that like all that it takes for evil to prevail is for good to do nothing. Like I don't know if we could have this message. I don't know. What do you think, Ryan? It's very specific to time and place. I mean, yeah. would that message work out for World War One? No, probably not. Every single conflict, every single war has its own unique challenges, and it's uh, and it, it, uh, it they all start uniquely, they all end uniquely, and mm-hmm. it works for a type of warfare where everybody dies. You know, and. So it worked for the 80s. And one thing I do have to say for myself, I like this movie. I love this movie. The problem Mm -hmm. is I hate when they simplify a message like this, where the computer goes, the only way to win is not to play. I'm like, really? Really? (laughs) You you can't come up with, with, you know, it's like, like, you can't really think of something better to say than that. But I I get it. I get it. I get it. You know, it's so, I mean, there's that. Um, but I mean, would it resonate today? Kinda. Mm-hmm. I feel like a lot of our problems that we're dealing with today, excluding misinformation, mm-hmm. could be helped by that. <laughs> Just let them go. Let it be. You know. Just yeah. don't. This this person said their piece. This is what they believe. Do you really need to say anything to them? <laughs> Do you really need to start an argument over nothing? Um, but I mean, it, again, it de- there's the it, whole misinformation yeah. thing. Ex- mm-hmm. That's that's what I mean. Excluding yeah. the misinformation, everything else, this works. You know, it's like if you're talking about tax code, somebody says, <laughs> this, well, this is what they believe. They believe in a flat tax. Okay, cool. This is what I believe. Eh, fine. Done. Done. Yeah. Don't engage. Done. There's no needing to trying to change their point of view on anything. Yeah, I like the and message. I, yeah. I like the message that this movie didn't intentionally send of don't believe everything you see on the computer screen. Now that we're talking about disinformation. Yeah. Cause like that was, that was actually a tense moment. Like I understand that the arc of the movie is that the handsome aged scientist is of course correct about all of this. And so is young Matthew Broderick. But I, there was that moment where they were like, okay, the nukes are going to hit. They're going to hit. They're blowing up now. And there was, like, they kept trying to, like, reach the different stations and they weren't answering. That was tense. I had a moment where I was like, ooh, did this happen? I know it didn't. But, like, you know, <laughs> you kind of go along with the movie. Yeah. And, like, that's that's cool. I like that. 
Yeah, there, the, uh, yeah, and, and that's that set that that whole thing took part on mm-hmm. um, was the most expensive movie set built in Hollywood at that point. It was oh, wow. one million dollars to build NORAD. Now they did go on a tour of NORAD to uh-huh. like get an idea about like the layout. They were mm-hmm. not allowed into the command center. Sure. Um, the actual the a picture was released. I think. 12 years ago finally like unclassified of what mm-hmm. like nor of, of like what the command center l- l- looked like in the early 80s and it's mm-hmm. very underwhelming <laughs> <laughs> it's it's um it's basically two or three of those huge monitors on like a slanted ceiling with like four rows of desks that's it gross like, it's really nothing too impressive um i feel like a lot of stuff like that is more like form or function over form though like the president's mm. command center is like an oak desk and like that's it. Yeah. Yeah. The uh so was it there's that um mm-hmm. they uh even though they had the ability to film outside of NORAD like they were given permission to like use the entrance and film and wow. do all that for the movie but they decided not to. They dressed up the tunnel that they used in uh, who framed Roger Rabbit and Back to the Future 2, they dressed <laughs> that tunnel up uh, to be the entrance to NORAD. No, they didn't. They did. I've it's, been it's in that tunnel. Same I love tunnel. that. It's the same tunnel. Oh my God, I love that. That they used in That's Back awesome. in the Future 2 and Who Framed Roger Rabbit. Oh, that makes um, me happy. So there are two characters I really want to touch on before mm-hmm. we get into like the end stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh the two computer nerds that they go to talk to uh, when he's trying to find like the list. What did you guys think? I feel like it was like pre big bang theory, big bang theory. Like they were like, <laughs> okay, what do computer nerds look like? This guy and this guy, here they are. You got it. Um, yeah. What Devin said, <laughs> I, 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 I kind of got distracted there. Uh, we lost half of this video but no i i don't know i the one the one like overly nerdy computer guy the thinner one he just bugged me every time oh, he was God. on screen yeah i like hate, they, i hated that character it i mean they almost made him seem like he was like i don't know it, the nerdy it, professor. he was a stereotype yeah exactly right yeah i didn't i didn't appreciate it with all the typing and the hacking the ollie boy <laughs> <laughs> I figured it out. I figured it out. You have no idea. I figured you go right through Falcon's maze. Right yep. Through. I was like, no, stop it. Stop it. Um, so as we were talking, I, I remembered that scene was one of the other scenes that they had done before the director switch. That makes sense, though. I can yeah, see so that. that. Yeah. So there's the plus. Um, so two of the hackers that they contacted to help write mm-hmm. this movie the one was the guy who found out that he could uh use a toy whistle he got in a cereal box um to oh, yeah. tone into a phone so that he could uh you know like make calls for free so yeah. him and then the other guy i forget his name but um the one that they talked to the second one they talked to, he was the one that was uh, that was proficient at at if at was finding back doors into computer systems. So oh, all cool. of this stuff was brand new and very niche back then. So the general public had no idea about any of this stuff. And they went to the experts who were hackers who had gotten in trouble for doing stuff like this back then. Um, and the one guy was proficient at like researching. And in fact, the main character, the kid, is based off mm-hmm. this hacker who was proficient at, you know, finding out who the programmers were of certain, you know, uh, of like the finding out who the programmers were, finding out what their backdoor passwords would be and like researching them and trying out that way. The same guy was, uh, the same guy also developed, um, I think it's called, um, war calling war, war games, war calling. Mm -hmm. Where was it? You, you set up your computer and you do exactly what he was doing, where it's just calling number, number, oh, uh, 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 okay. was it like number after number. Um, and that was developed based on him. So like, huh. so, I mean, like all of the tactics he used was based off that second hacker that they talked to, to make the movie. That's really cool. Which was really cool. The general, I was going to ask if that was real. Yeah. Yeah. No. It, yeah. It, 
Definitely was. Um, The general at NORAD uh, Mm -hmm. is based off the actual general from NORAD uh, that did the tour with the directors and the writers when they were getting stuff together to make the movie. During the tour, the general asked, he was like, hey, can I ask you guys some stuff about the movie you're going to be making about me? Like, jokingly? Yeah. Um, so, th- so they went out to lunch with him, and they actually wrote, like, his personality and some of the things that he would say into the script. <laughs> um, That's cool. Now, my favorite line from this was ad-libbed, and it's from the general himself towards the end. Mm-hmm. Um. But before I say it, I want to know what your guys is like, what, like, what quote, what line stands out to you? Honestly, I, and this is for a weird reason, uh, I never learned to swim was my favorite line of this movie because dang it, I didn't expect a movie about a computer called the Whopper playing a video game to make me feel something. Matthew Broderick. (laughs) Thank you. It's what Matthew Broderick does best, whether it's it War is. Games, Ferris Bueller's Day Off, or The Producers. He makes you feel. <laughs> um, I don't know if I have one off the top of my head. Okay. Uh, damn it, I'd piss on a spark plug if it'd do any good. <laughs> that is a good one, though. I, think, I absolutely love that line. <laughs> I, I think so my fun. favorite moment is... Like it's not a line, but when they're they show the tour group going through, and the tour guides here push this button, and then like alarms start going off. And it's like welcome tour group from Birmingham. You know I've okay so I was on a tour like that for this thing called like the Lost River Caverns. It's a mm-hmm. it, it it's a it's a cave up in the Lehigh Valley or Northampton County somewhere in Pennsylvania and. You go on a tour, they do like three or four a day or every 30 minutes or whatever, and there's catwalks and they take you down and the glowy rocks and we don't know where this river, underground river goes to. They put dye in the river, all that stuff. I've been on that tour like six times between school and Boy Scouts. I was, and I was the nerd, the jerk, the asshole per se, that like the tour guide would be saying something and I'd go, Oh, that's because water's been flowing through here for 10,000 years. <laughs> like I cut <laughs> off the tour guide. I did. <laughs> I was on that tour so much that like I could name everything that they were doing, but I think it was like the last time that I like did it. I, I, I opened my mouth once or twice, and I think the second time I did it, I caught, like, the evil glare from the tour guide, so I stopped. But I said that. I legitly said that was the first one. And then the second one, it was some question about, does anybody know what, you know, you know, why this happens? And I was like, I raised my hand, and he, like, said, yes. (laughs) And I gave the answer, and he looked at me, he just looked at me, and then he just continued on. Then I just shut up the rest of the time, because I didn't want to get in trouble. But... I've seen this movie so much that when they do that, I roll my eyes. Yeah. I've like, yeah. like I've gotten to that point. Like I'm somebody that if I go on a tour more than twice, I get annoyed and I start doing things I shouldn't be doing because I'm that bored. And at this point watching this movie, they're like, Hey, touch that red button right there. And I'll just be sitting at home watching this and going, it's going to go off. It's going to go off. <laughs> I th- I actually did think of my, my actual favorite line, and it's from the, yeah. the beginning of the film when he's in class, and the teacher asks, where did asexual reproduction come from? And he, he probably just stands up and says, your wife. Yeah. Again, ad-libbed. It's a good line. Yeah. Okay, so that was ad-libbed, and you remember the laughter in that scene, like how it was really loud, yeah. like louder than like normal? That's because it being ad-libbed, Matthew Broderick knew what he was going to say. Like, they came up with these lines, like, this, like, like a minute before they started filming. Mm-hmm. And, like, the director knew he was going to say. The teacher knew what he was going to say because the teacher, the actor, wanted to be able to react to it, you mm-hmm. know, realistically. Um, but nobody on the set knew what the punchline was going to be. Yeah. So half the laughter you hear is from the... <laughs> is from the set hands. Like it's yes. from the cameramen and uh, uh, and everybody in the background. And they just left the laughter in because it, it 
because it worked. So, 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 so when you watch it and you hear grown men laugh, <laughs> it's the people behind the camera laughing on set. <laughs> That's really cool. I didn't know that. Yeah. All right. So do we have final thoughts on war games before we wrap this up? I mean, I really think my final thought was kind of what I said earlier. Like the movie itself was fun, um, but it made me feel, and I liked that. Okay. Yeah, I I don't know if it made me feel as much as you, it made you feel, uh, but I enjoyed it. I'm, I'm glad g- I saw it. Got to cross yeah. it off my list. So. Okay. Well, I'm happy that both of you have finally seen it, and I can, I, and and. I, I don't have to worry about Devin making the joke. Oh, I've already, I've, I've read, I've, I've uh, read, read Ready Player One. I don't need to see that. So. I'd much yeah. rather him make that joke than, oh, I don't need to see The Shining. I saw Ready Player One, the movie. <laughs> <laughs> Ew. Yeah. Hmm. All right. Speaking of Devin, I believe next week it's your turn to have us watch something. What do you got for us? It is. So. This actually came from something that happened recently. Uh, I found out that, Alan, you've never seen Ratatouille? I have not. Uh, So, first off, my love of Pixar movies is coming out. But also, I wanted to talk a little bit about the Ratatouille musical they did for TikTok. So, I'm going to make you guys watch Ratatouille. Wait, wait, wait. There's a movie based on Ratatouille, the TikTok musical? (laughs) Oh, no. Oh, that hurt. Ryan's Ryan's mind is still in the 80s. He has no idea what TikTok is or what's going on. (laughs) No, I'm fine. I I had a TikTok account before either of you two did. Just putting it out there. That's true, though. That's probably probably true. True. Um, It is very true because I remember seeing clips of like stuff from Musical.ly and going, what the hell is this? So I downloaded Musical.ly. I'm like, oh, this is just a bunch of random people doing lip syncing to stuff. And for some reason, there was a huge following of that. Uh, the Repo Men movie was based on an opera or whatever. Yeah. Oh, Repo that... Men, it was based. Repo, that... the genetic opera. Yeah. Repo, the, 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 the g- g- genetic opera. There was a huge yeah. thing with like goth teenagers, like singing quotes to that on musically. Look. And then it and then it went from that to TikTok. And mm-hmm. then it was one of those things where I'm like, this is this is all stupid stuff. So I stopped being on it. Look, it was a weird time. Beetlejuice the musical hadn't come out yet. Goth teens had nothing else to express their emotions to. But when it something. did, holy it hell, also, did TikTok oh, take boy. it? Oh, it ran it with it. It did. It really oh, yeah. did. That was also back when they were wearing vampire okay. things for some reason. <laughs> Let's save the it's TikTok now, chat the for, uh, for next week. Um, yeah. Until then... Make sure to like us on Facebook, follow us on Instagram. You can subscribe to our YouTube channel to watch what we have of this episode. Um, the rest of it will just be like a picture I do in Photoshop. It'll be, it'll be nice. Perfect. Um, subscribe to our YouTube. You can listen to the podcast on all major podcasting platforms. Uh, so wherever you get your podcast, you can find us. You can email us at you have to watch this podcast at gmail.com. And stay tuned for next week when we have our first live show as part of a live stream being held by our friends over at Victims and Villains. We will have more details for that next week. But until then, for You Have to Watch This Podcast, I'm Alan. I'm Ryan. And I'm Devin. And we'll see you next week.